guys, welcome to Bethel Radio Hour, um, April 21st. Did everybody enjoy their snow day yesterday? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> snow day. I yeah. mean, just, just take that in. What I shared with people was, you know, welcome to February. Was it hard to turkey hunt in the snow? I don't know. I don't, I did don't you know. Did you give it a try anyway? In. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I did go yesterday. I, I didn't go Monday. I went yesterday morning, and I went this morning, and both... I dressed as much as I would on a, a November day for deer hunting. Yeah, rifle season. So tonight we have a pleasant surprise. We have Benjamin Kingston here with us tonight. Yeah. From Landmark, DeSoto. Yeah, yeah, he's joining us on the panel in place of Tom, so we're thankful to have him. Um, as usual, we have three topics to run down tonight, and uh, with that, Ben, I'll let you set up the first topic. All right. So uh, I'll explain Benjamin a little bit. Um, he's on vacation. And uh, his uh, turkey hunting trip got cut short because he killed one on Monday. Oh, that's <laughs> so, a good reason. Yeah, that's a good reason. Yeah, good. And uh, he saw all the weather coming. He thought, I can go to a warm bed and, you know, do this. So uh, with Tom not being able to be here, of course, I was going to have him set in irregardless. But these topics, uh, in my humble opinion, are best suited for all ages because these topics, and, and we're, we're going to beg everyone you know, if, if someone is listening uh, via uh, the internet or the such, please don't don't jump in this halfway because you'll misunderstand. Uh, this is not an attempt for us to stir anything up. This is an attempt for us to recognize what is going on, and what is going on in our nation right now uh, is a full-blown spiritual warfare on hundreds of fronts. And so basically our first two topics this uh, this evening are for us to discuss on a pardon the interruption style so each person will get two minutes to give their three top uh, you know discussion starters if you will topics. And the first uh, group here is what do you believe that Christians need to have an answer ready for in these three areas. So uh, you know, these are the social topics. These are the things that we're hearing on CNN and Fox News and the such. Uh, these are the issues that are happening on a daily basis. What do you guys as panelists tonight feel like are the top three that a Christian needs to have an answer ready for? This comes from the passage uh, in 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord, being ready always to give answer to every man that asketh, you a reason concerning the hope that is in you, yet with meekness and fear. And, and that, I mean, you know, we couldn't have said it better. That, that's the leadership of the Holy Spirit through Peter telling us, with fear and trembling, basically, prepare your answer. And so, again, uh, if someone jumps in here after this introduction and they hear us talking, if you will, about racism, they may misunderstand what we're trying to do. Uh, we are trying to say that that is a topic uh, and, and we as Christians need to have a, an answer ready. We're probably not going to give you a whole lot of answers tonight. We're going to hopefully get you started on working on some of these things type of thing. Uh, you, you guys got anything before we dive in? Let's go. Let's All do right. it. There you go. I'm, I'm getting to my stopwatch here. So, Benjamin, uh, we're just going to baptize you with fire. Uh, right. You get the first opportunity on the social, because the, the second topic we're going to talk about spiritual yeah. topics. Go ahead. All right. So I was told this was social, secular idea, and I've only got one. And for me, when I, I searched up the word secularization, I know I didn't say that perfectly, but and I just kind of you know looked at the definition. The best definition I found is secularization is the process whereby religious thinking, practice, and institutions lose social significance. So for me, when I, I heard this, you know, they told me three different topics, but for me, you need a base of what's happening in this country before you dive into these topics. You need to know why these, you know, these things are issues now, and so you can understand. So for me, I, I wanted to understand exactly how they did it, and first, it's just they took, you know, religion out of everything. They're trying to, you know, take the significance of religion out of it, and, and you know, it, it's evident, and so now we have a base in inside of what they're doing and then they you know they're taking it and now they're finding every reason to attack religion in our stance and homosexuality and our stance in abortion and you know 
And now they have a foothold in everybody's heart simply because they took religion out of schools and the government houses. And so you need to know where your base is in secularization, in my opinion. So that's, that's, that was my one and only point. Very good. Uh, response to that, Terry, Gavin, and myself. If you're removing God from school, government, social life, any public arena, arena in the eye of the public, that makes you more powerful than God. You bet. You're attempting to supplant God in if there, you know, if there's any form of government that does that well, it's socialism. It removes the the God love your love God and love others. It removes God from that equation. Now it's just the government and just love the government. And the government <laughs> becomes God. Exactly. And they're glad to do that. Happy to be intervening in every relationship between every citizen of the country. More than happy to do that. And you have to have a permit. <laughs> it costs 20 bucks. So uh, what I'll add to that, Benjamin, is this whole idea of a Christian worldview. We need to be able to state what our Christian worldview is and also help the person that we're talking to understand that what you have is a worldview. But it isn't a Christian worldview. It's a secular worldview. And, and there's, there's key points that we got to talk about. And, and all of them, to some level, affect your eternity in the such terror. Well, when I was kind of thinking of that, I was thinking of, um, I've heard people say, well, you can't legislate morality. Right. Right. Like, you hear that a lot. Yeah. Like, well, That's I mean. It's a secular worldview. It, but the truth is, like, <laughs> morality I mean, you have to have right. some, that's what we're now doing already. I mean, you can't kill people. Right. You, you just can't keep stealing. Morality. So we already are doing that. Um, so I've always found that as an interesting worldview topic. Like, you can't legislate morality when, in fact, well, that's, that's been the basis of society from the beginning. So That's right. And, and, Look know. up the definition of law. Right, right. <laughs> it contains the word moral. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, I was even thinking before she said morality, of morality, I meant to say it in my first statement, was the, the, you know, you can pretty much show the statistics that morality and religion, so to speak, has their parallel roads. They, they, they ride together. Right. Because when they started taking out, you could tell morality was taken out and more crime, more sickness, everything started to, an uptick, an uprise in the U.S. There's a, a, you know, a clear rise in just gun murders. You can see it. And so, and, and they're att attacking the wrong thing in those situations. And so, you know, morality is key in having a, a free nation. And if you take religion, the morality goes with it. And, you know, the things that they're attacking is the morality. They're taking the morality out of the, out of the things, and the more you take, the, the, the less of a free nation you have. So one thing I'd add before we go to the next person, because, Tara, I think you've, you've hit on something there. That So when you and I are having this argument, if you will, and I know a lot of people really have a problem with that word, but I'm, I'm not using that as an attacking word. But you're having a discussion with a person, and th this topic comes up. You can't legislate morality. Well... Okay, what really is the key there is that you can't legislate self-government. And that's what this nation was built on. This nation was built on self-government. And so self-government has to come at free will. So when someone chooses not to govern themselves and they go into your yard and steal something, we've got a law for that. And, and you can legislate the actions of the person that refuses to govern themselves. And that is a civil society. In my humble opinion, that would be a good, you know, whatever the word is there, uh, turnaround to help them understand where you're coming from. Uh, okay, Gavin? One of the ways to legislate morality is to punish evil. That's right. If you, if you punish the harmful behavior, you reduce it and you promote freedom. When people can live in a safe, prosperous society, uh, you, you have done your work on punishing evil, punishing things that are detrimental to, the, to your neighbors and to the community. So you can legislate morality. You, you do it by punishing evil. That's right. It's your turn, Gavin. Oh. That's what I meant by Gavin. Oh, That's okay. That was good stuff, too. We were, yeah. All right. <laughs> so so we're three? 
But yeah, okay. I mean, pick one. Yeah, yeah, two minutes. You, you can okay. do what Benjamin says. Okay. Well, I've got I've got four. So uh, let's, <laughs> let's start. Of course with, you do. <laughs> if time permits, we'll circle back around. All right. All right. Okay. We're starting your time. Go. All right. So in <clears throat> and this just because of my my personal experience and my, and things that I'm interested in, but to me, the most um, all-encompassing, across-the-board, transcending topic for um, a secular person to bring against religion or God is their experience with pain. And they will never say that. I, well, they will, but, but rarely will they completely verbalize to you why they quit going to church or why they stopped believing that there was a God or started questioning if there was a God. Mm -hmm. But it's a personal experience with pain that does it. And pain and the... the uh, the way that it comes about is so personal and intimate, it's not a comfortable conversation that a secular person would approach anyone about. You will, over time, if you get to know them, get, get their, their story and what happened to them and potentially why they quit going to church as a young person or as a middle-aged person or whatever, whatever time in their life when they quit going to church. Uh, but pain is, the, I think, uh, the number one apologetic for the devil. Um, it's a it's a felt argument against God, and too many people perceive a disappointment, the loss of a loved one, a catastrophic event in their life as a rejection of mm -hmm. God, and, and it's felt personally. So, having an answer for that, having a prepared um, approach to that, I think is very, would be very very beneficial. What is your prepared approach to that? Whenever. Uh, you know, if we're talking about how we're going to approach the topic of pain to a society that isn't as teetering on their belief in God, what is your response it's, to when somebody says, well, why would a God cause this much pain? Why would pain? a loving God yeah. do that? Yeah, and and it, it, it's going to be different for every situation. Right. That's right. where you got to get to know them. Right. Um, but in general, when someone comes to you, I didn't deserve this. Why did this happen to me? I didn't deserve it. How can there be a God if this happened to me? Um, you, you could say, you know, God still intends to have a relationship with you. And even though this terrible event has happened in your life, you have left a relationship with him or, or at the very least stopped pursuing a relationship with him. So, so look at it. If, if what the Bible tells us is true, God has experienced a horrible loss as well. And, but he hasn't stopped pursuing a relationship with you because of his horrible loss on the cross. He, he is even more dedicated to pursuing you. Um, he lost his son unjustly. He didn't have to give his son. He didn't have to experience that loss. And we can't even begin to understand the loss that he experienced on the cross when he had been together with his son for eternity, we don't know what that that separation right. cost cost him, or what it felt like, and we never will. But God still, even especially because of that pain, is pursuing a relationship with you because He knows exactly where you are. He has experienced loss of someone He loves, you know, and infinitely in a way that we can't understand uh, so deep. Um, so, so God's love is even more important. When you've experienced the loss, you, you know that there's a lot at stake in this game of life and that the pain that you experienced is evidence that, that there's love. So you, the, the person that you lost or the, whatever happened to you, the disappointment you experienced, shows that the right way is blessed, loved, um, accepted, um, affirmed. That's the right way. That's, so when something wrong happens, we know that the right way is, is that lifestyle, and we appreciate it more. Right. Well, I was thinking um, there's nobody on this planet that hasn't experienced some degree of pain, right. um, some worse than others. Um, some it's emotional pain or it's physical pain, but it's pain all the same. And I can remember the first time that I had heard my whole life, in heaven there's no pain, in heaven there's no pain. Well, up until a certain point of my life, I'd never experienced not even physical pain. I mean, my gosh, a sore muscle maybe, but no physical pain. Um, and certainly not tremendous emotional pain. And then I can remember um, having experienced in my 20s a very, very severe 
emotional pain, um, deeper and wider and gaping and just a horrendous experience to go through on, on uh, the planet. And that was the first time that I realized that in heaven, you are separated from emotional pain. Mm. There is no more emotional pain. You, you're not ever going to hurt like that again. And for the first time in my life, I experienced such a yearning for mm. heaven and a hope for heaven and a desire for heaven. Um, so I wouldn't ever uh, have that pain again. And so I think that's an answer you have for people. Do we know why? Why would God, quote, cause this pain? Well, that's a loaded question, but I don't know the answer to that. But I do know there is a heaven waiting for us at the end of this road that is separated from pain if you choose to continue uh, to believe and follow Jesus. So that would be maybe my response if, if that's Amen. what our one-minute rebuttal could be. It would still be to point people to heaven, which is free from pain and suffering. Amen. Probably the best response to that I ever heard uh, was a fellow, and, and I've shared this at church here many, many times, that the pastor was there <clears throat> consoling a church member wife, meaning it was someone else's wife, the husband was an atheist, and their three-year-old daughter had died a tragic death, and he's there in the hospital room trying to console the family. And the husband turns to him and says, you tell me how a loving God could allow a child like this to die this horrible death. And the pastor just looked at him and says, sir, I can't explain this, but what I can tell you is whether or not God loves you has forever been answered on the cross of Calvary. And so even though I cannot explain this particular situation right here, right now, whether or not God loves you has been absolutely answered on the cross of Calvary. Now, I'd love to tell you that guy came to Christ. We, we don't know. The, the story doesn't, you know, can, in, in, include as that. A, as a father who's lost a child, he could certainly relate to what, you better what he's believe been it. through. You better believe it. Uh, one thing, too, while you were talking, um, and I think that you can, can use pain to get here, too, but uh, I was reminded of uh, a pastor that talked about uh, a girl after a devotional came to him and said, I used to believe what you just talked about, but I no longer believe it. And she was a college-age student. He said, well, well, let me ask you this. When did you stop believing? She said, about three months after I got to school here, and it was a Christian school. And uh, he said, well, not to be mean or anything, but what kind of sinful activity did you get into about three months ago or three months after you got here? And, she, boy, she bowed her head. And uh, she had a, an unholy relationship with a young man. And uh, he said, well, I'm not trying to be anything but real, but I'm telling you it's not that you changed your viewpoint about God. You changed your viewpoint about what you were going to do. And so one of the two things had to go. You either had to quit sinning or you had to, you know, get right with God. And, and most you, people don't choose that. Right. You chose pleasure, you know. Now, it was probably pain in her life, loneliness, that drove her to that mm -hmm. In quotations, pleasure. In, inappropriate response. Inappropriate response, right? Very good. So that is a referral uh, to the, I believe, the tagline of that book that Dr. Hooks wrote. Uh, inappropriate responses to pain brings more pain. Appropriate responses to pain brings healing. And for me, I can't tell you how many times oh, I've used that, that in counseling. That is so true. It is so true. Mm -hmm. uh, so. I got two points. Yeah. Um, sure. So the first point for me is when people say something like, you know, why does God make the pain? You got to realize where pain comes from. And the origin of pain was when Eve took that apple and bit of it. It was because of the human's action that created the pain in this world. There was no pain until that happened. Correct. Until sin entered the world. So the truth is, is God isn't causing that to you. The truth is that our human nature is causing that to you. Right. No, and absolutely. So, so you've got to find the true reason to be mad at. So you shouldn't be mad at God. You should be mad at your own self and your own response. And then that leads you to how to correct that response in yourself to the salvation message. So, I, you know, whenever I'm approached by that pain, is I, the truth is that God isn't the reason for that pain. Right. But then also, um, you know, kind of the main thing with pain is there's so many pitfalls. And I know the main one for me is bitterness. So many people get caught in bitterness and pain. <laughs> and once you have it, it's an acidic attacking thing bitterness is it just completely tears you up whenever you get any bitterness in you and it grows faster than anything else in my opinion in that area and just bitterness and guilt can take you down faster than anything else and so if, if you know that bitterness comes from pain if you teach you know the people when they're young that that you need to watch for bitterness you can't let bitterness control your actions 
that can save them from a lot of pitfalls when they experience pain because pain is guaranteed. On this side of the of Earth, Ouch. you're going to have pain. Pain is guaranteed. <laughs> but if you know how to deal with pain, if you learn that you know the pitfalls in pain, you have a better chance of navigating it correctly. Like what, like you know, Gavin said, the correct response to pain. Right. I, yeah, I don't know the correct quote, but the, yeah, what he said. The appropriate response. And, appropriate and response. that comes from Paul's experience of pain. He had a yes. thorn in his side. His response. He asked God to remove it three times, and God said no. And he said, my grace is sufficient for, for, the, for you. Mm. How do we get grace? Humility. Yeah, we ask so for it. We humble ourselves before God, and, and uh, God gives us grace. Uh, give, give grace to the humble. Um, humility is the, uh, the right response to pain. Evalu- self-evaluation, right. correction where it's needed, correct yourself where you, where you need to. Um, if this has happened to you and it was out of your control, there was nothing you can do about it, the loss of a child, the, the car accident that takes a loved one, approach humility and beseeching God for what he's doing in your life is the, is the most, it's the quickest path to healing. Um, you, you can find, or you're going to be buried in bitterness. And I think forgiveness is such a big part. You have to teach forgiveness because, you know, pain, pain, you know, that you can say the unexplainable or wreck or whatever that you can blame God, but also, I mean, pain simply comes from, you know, bad relationships and other people you have to learn to forgive or your the, the bitterness and the pain is going to consume you and the the only way that we can are able to forgive is by Jesus example we we don't have the power to forgive until we know Jesus example that's why there's no forgiveness in a lost person right. is because they don't know what forgiveness looks like until they see Jesus's life so you know i think forgiveness is a huge part of this also so to to put a bow on this Terry we can save ours for the next time <laughs> cuz we're going to topic 2 here in a minute i would assume um you know, Benjamin pointed out that you got to get that person to understand that ultimately they are part of the problem because of their sin. And as far as I'm concerned, you got to be very patient with that. You've got to win a hearing. You've got to earn the opportunity to say that because they're probably not, you know, at your first discussion, they're probably not ready to hear that. But something that's, if it's going to develop into a personal relationship with Christ, you know, imagine that, that when that person comes to the reality, as Gavin was talking about, that God can relate to someone losing a child because he lost his son in the most unjust manner that you could think. And this person that's working through this, okay, God can relate to me. Well, why can he relate to me? Because he gave his son. Why did he have to give his son? My sin. Sin. You know, and, and, and hopefully that's where it comes, uh, the connection. Well, I knew you were going to say that you have to win the hearing. I, I had already written that down as you have to get to know someone That's first. right. You and not just get to know them. You know, Invest. show that you care. Show yeah. that you, you right. love them, who they are, where they are, how they are. Um, and, Serve and, them. Yes, invest in them as a person, and then also be the example they need to see. I mean, what good is all that if they see you morally failing time after time after time right. after time? Um, but if they see your example and they see your love, you've, you've really won the chance to say the kind of things that we've just talked right. about. Relationship reaching is the best way to do it. Absolutely. That's the best way to get people in the seats in church. Relationship, they're here because they either have a friend or something. That's right. And then you can win them because they're here. Concentric circles of concern. Just name your topics the, on this, under this heading, just, just yeah, if I'll, you can. It's, it's too loaded. It's okay, so, all it's right, way all right. too loaded. Mine were simply uh, the, create, uh, the Christian beginning of our nation, gender confusion, and free speech. Uh, gender confusion was actually one yeah. of mine. We might have to punt that to another. You bet. Oh, yeah, we're, we're done on next, so week. Topic, <laughs> next week. Topic two, uh, same as above, but on a spiritual level, which three should we be ready to argue over with a Christian? So in other words, a, a Christian, and, and we'll, you know, for the sake of this, we'll just say this is a nominal Christian. This isn't a Christian that's been discipled. They go to church. They go to church, but they're not really invested. And in, 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 uh, before I leave this anymore, uh, Christina Fogg uh, t- texted in, remember that if Christians are there, i.e. school, God should be there. And be careful handling religion uh, the Bible to legislatures, they will change it like history, math, science, etc. They break down, uh, the, the breakdown starts in the Christian home and in churches. I do not believe that the Bible should be taught anywhere but church and home. The Bible is not taught in school, just used to learn to read, spell, etc. And I, I just want to correct because that reminded me of something I said. When you kick God out of school, 
you demonstrate you're more powerful than God. Right. I'm talking about in the secular mind. Right, right. I'm not talking about in right, reality. Right, right. So. You bet, you bet. Yeah. Um, very good, Christina. Thank you for that. So, uh, Tara, you get to go first because you may not get a chance if you don't go first. <laughs> um, so in this topic, we're talking about essentially creation to another Christian. Christian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would say to talk about creation to mm -hmm. another Christian, you, you have to address its you know opposite, which would be evolution. And right. we just talked about that briefly. Um, but this is where apologetics, I think, we really, um, we really need to be strong on understanding what we know. So I'll give an example on when I went off to college, and it was a super liberal college, and I had an anthropology class, so all of it was, of course, evolution-based, every single thing. And so I thought, you know what? I have only been exposed to a Christian upbringing, so I'm really going to dive into this evolution and see what it has to offer. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, there was literally no missing link ever found. Uh, there was no sign of evolution occurring or having Presently. actually had any evidence that it ever occurred. Um, and then, you know, Talk come... about macro. Right? right, right. And so then you don't have... Well, because you have adaptation, that's true. Uh, you have, uh, you know, you have things that are occurring, um, but you don't have major evolution occurring. Um, and even just reading some quotes from evolutionists that say things like... Well, we don't have any proof for evolution, but the only other option is creationism, and who can believe that? So, I mean, you really have to pick one or the other to believe in, but you have to pick one to believe in. It takes faith to believe in evolution as much as it does creation. Um, so having introduced that, um, I believe, of course, and would tell this to any Christian, that creation was by God. Now, we talked about this last week. Was it exactly six, literal, 24 six hour literal days? Do we have a young earth? Do we have an old earth? I'm not going to die on that battlefield. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, when it comes to evolution, there is nothing that is pointing to any facts. The Bible points to more facts that right. creation happened than what has in even Darwin himself used to say, well, I don't have the technology, basically. I don't have what, what will happen someday. We'll have the ability to, right. to look into these Test things, this. and we'll be able to prove what I'm saying now, and it will be out there. And now we have the huge human genome project, and we know more than we've ever known, and it's done nothing but disprove right. evolution's theory. Right. But then still you have these people that are like, all right, I'm not going to say. It's a religion for I'm them. not going to say that there's a God that cares about me, but I'll have to admit there was a designer. It was designed. It was created. Um, one of the best analogies, and I gave this to one of my friends the other day. Um, I said, well, look at your cell phone. Did you, you know, did somebody take some lithium and, you know, some fiberglass and some, you know, they take it in a bag and shake it up real good and out popped a cell phone? There is a designer. There was a creator. Everything, your jacket you're wearing, your fancy shoes and your purse was all designed by someone. Everything on the planet comes uh, from some kind of creation. Life comes forward. Nothing just explodes and happens. Nothing accidentally mm -hmm you know, shook up and here comes a really fancy watch. It all had order to it. It comes from order, which points to a creator. So, Amen. Very good. The genome, and it, it's basically been accepted across the board from scientists that the genome is information. It's biological information. Information only comes from intelligence. Yeah. And it assumes intelligence to read it. So, so the, another layer of argument for the, for the creation side of things. So, so that uh, is actually one of mine, so I can take it off my list now. Uh, but but I, I, all I'm going to say is, is this. Uh, and Tom Nays, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. No. Um, <laughs> There's answers, a young earth. That's right. It, it is a young earth. It is a young earth. Uh, answers in Genesis. These men and women are brilliant. And unless you're just really wanting to stick your feet in the ground and for whatever reason, they will absolutely help you. And again, because, you know, it was an hour and 13-minute video, so there's no way that you're going to break that down in a 20-minute topic last week. But that video in the first 10 minutes, even though I was already hooked before I listened to the video, convinced me that the Bible 
explicitly, completely supports Genesis 1 through 11. Jesus completely, explicitly supports Genesis 1 through 11. So uh, if you're struggling in that area, please, please listen to Answers in Genesis. Get it in you because it is an important area. Well, one of the, and I didn't get to this last week, we ran out of time, but I'll just throw it out here now on the young earth, not to rehash it, but um, there is a very distinct genealogy. Do you ever wonder when I was a kid and, and I'd read the Bible and it was like, and he begot who, got begot this guy, begot that guy, and their ages were in there. And when he was this age, he had this kid. And I'm like, why is this in the Bible? Oh my gosh, this is so much. And it just didn't make sense. Right. But now it makes sense. They're giving us a timeline. Right. So you can't know, people will say, well, I mean, we can't possibly know how old the earth is, but can we? I mean, he's given us a pretty specific timeline. And then we know Jesus, time changed from 2,000 years ago. He hit the earth, so you got 2,000. And then you have a pretty solid record that occurred prior to that that has somehow miraculously been preserved, which it has. And there's your answer. Right. Amen. Amen. I almost always share that when I get into the gospel. I, I tell at a funeral. I understand that there are other viewpoints of the origins of the earth. I, I understand that. All I'm asking you to do is put them to the test and understand that whatever your origin is, it takes faith to believe it. Whether you believe that aliens... Some, a lot That's right. It, whether you believe aliens seeded this planet, whether you believe that you came from you know, a monkey, or whether you believe God spoke this world into existence, it takes faith. It really does. That's right. Uh, my my favorite thing online is when you, you say you're a Christian is when, when someone just says, well, you just need to go out there and, and you know, learn some information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to go Science. Yeah. I, I just love that because, you know, the truth is we, we have more on our side than you do have on your side, but you're just simply not willing to accept it. And so that's just my favorite thing is they're, they're not really willing to argue it. They just, they just you know, they've, they've made a way to, to have is- the science on their side. And they're going to call it that. What you need to do is go and read something, Benjamin, that proves my point. <laughs> See if you can find some stuff to prove my point. It, it, then let me know if, if you find it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right, that, that's one of my pet peeves on the Internet. You just need to read more. You just need to go out. Yeah. Why don't yeah. you, why don't yeah. you read more? You go more. find yeah. my proof. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that, that's good. Exactly. That's good. So uh, I'll give you my topics real quick. Genesis 1 through 11 was, was the first one. Free will. Free will is something I believe, uh, and, and and no, no, I, Benjamin, no, I'm Woo. not talking about just argued Calvinism. That's not what I'm talking so about. Let's get into it. We're not doing that tonight. No, we're not doing that tonight. Oh, but or next Wednesday. <laughs> and, and shameless plug again here. Shameless plug. Yes, I am his brother-in-law. No, I do not get royalties. But uh, the, the the discussion that we're having right now at 5:30 on Sunday, uh, we had a whole class on free will. It was excellent. Uh, yeah, as far as I'm concerned... Who, who talked? You who did. <laughs> Gavin did. Yeah. Gavin oh. Hooks from his newest book, The Core Principle. Uh, guys, the whole biblical gospel story breaks down without free will. In yeah. my humble opinion. Yeah. I, I'm not saying we the people... We don't understand why God created us if we don't understand free will. Right. Right. Exactly. And, 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 you know, you think about it, just how we, how we in society operate when someone forces themselves upon someone. We have a law against that. It's illegal. And we have words for it and all that. It's damaging. It's hurtful. But yet we're going to say that God <clears throat> forces himself upon people. No, there's free will. He created it. He, that's the way he wants it. And, and I love this. He sovereignly designed it that way. So uh, my other one was discipleship. I, I believe that we've got to lovingly challenge Christian people. Are you discipled? Do you know that you know that you know what God wants you to do? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to read your Bible? Do you know how to share your faith? Do you know how to teach others to share their faith? Are you reproducing yourself? We talk about that a lot here. Yeah, and that's something that I, I have a, a strong desire for is to learn to learn how to teach, to teach, yeah. to teach, to teach yeah. those people Amen. to teach. Like, I, I want so bad for um, a, a program that teaches me how to do it better. I keep finding myself in 
positions of teaching people. I'm not looking for it. It just keeps happening. So therefore, I'm left (laughs) to conclude that that's what God wants me to do. Um, But I also often feel like uh, I I could do better. I could be trained. I I need the training. I need the materials. I think a lot of churches, you don't have the, I guess, maybe the programs or the The tools, the education. Yes, there's... I'm with you materials and this is this is how you do it and this is how it's effective and this is Mm -hmm. how you can do it better and this is how you check and balance yourself and evaluate how it's going and uh the idea is to train people to reach people to train people to reach people you know let's let's build churches that birth churches that birth more churches that's the thought well that's the command that's the command i want to i want to hit number one kind of going back because i didn't i didn't get to but God's sovereignty can't be denied, and God's free will can't be denied. Oh, absolutely. So I think, you know, for me, they run on parallel tracks. That's all I want to say about that. We can talk later in more detail if you want to. But I, um, you, you just said what I said. Well, yeah, no, you I'm with you. Yeah, no, you didn't say it right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I love having a father On this point of discipleship. Panel tonight. We, we've had good. this discussion a lot. Okay. In discipleship. He loses every time. Would you be quiet? <laughs> discipleship. It, for me, you know, I have trouble with the whole outside materials for me it's like everything that we have been given through the word of god like we have the materials in my opinion i think everything in the word of god we don't need extras i mean it's helpful but i feel like if you're wanting to get into it there in my opinion you have the material it's just in the word of god and you have to let god and the holy spirit bring it to you and so and that's just you know as, as i've been Honestly, no, no. in a different material. I know I, this is funny. But I agreed di- with you till that point, Benjamin. I know, but no, in a different material, I learned. <laughs> I feel like I learned this is that you have, you have the avenue in in the Word of God for everything. It doesn't hurt to use the other, but I'm I'm always afraid of leaning only on other materials. Don't don't let, and I'm not saying I, don't take this the wrong way. Don't let. I disagree with letting God and the Holy Spirit bring it to you. You got to go get it. Oh yes, you yes, gotta yes. go get it. So, so how I feel like prepare the, the, yourself for it. Yes, how I feel like it, it it works is God calls you. You have to respond. The Holy Spirit brings it. Does would you, you agree with correct. that? Correct. Okay, you, and so you, you have, have to, to respond. You have a, to go also. Right. So yes, I agree with you. Yes. I just didn't say the whole process. Right, right. Yes, yes. The, there is definitely a interaction, a yeah, relationship you can't just say, that okay, has God to happen. Bring it to me. Oh no 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 no. There, there's a relationship. Yeah yeah. No, I'm with you. So there is though. A haunting passage, I believe it's John John 14, that says, You have no other need for anyone else to teach you because the Holy Spirit will teach you. See, okay? I didn't have that verse to Right, right, right. But, but the Scripture also says, um, All Scripture is profitable, you know, for doctrine, correction, instruction, righteousness, uh, and reproof. And then it says that there's safety in a multitude of counselors. You know, with, with, Ask, seek, yeah, knock. Yeah, yeah, all right. So I, I believe there's biblical support for, for both approaches. I, I think that what you have to, you almost got to set that aside and say the only wrong approach is not doing it. Yeah. You know? Well, I, you know, I'm sitting here reflecting on myself and my perfectionist tendencies and the, the consuming uh, self-evaluation, like, eh, it could be better. Right. Yeah, it could be better. There's probably a book out there that teach me to do it better than that. That's no, where I no live. Doubt. But something I thought of when you said discipleship, and I was thinking discipleship and relationship. Right. And that's part of it. Right. Um, you can't disciple anybody in the church without having a relationship with We're that. Back that, to that. Per- that person coming so in for the first time, coming to know Christ, they can't just slip through the cracks. They need to have relationships within the church so that there can be discipleship. Love relationship is in the concrete of the base. Love relationship yeah. in everything. It's in the key between, to both, yeah, soul winning and discipleship. Between God, between your, you know, your spouse, a love relationship is almost key to everything. And so you, have, you always have to have that for discipleship, love relationship. You have to show that love relationship to everybody. So that, you know, that, that, that's always important is that love relationship. It's what makes the truth not only something interesting, but it makes it desirable. The love and truth are in, inseparably tied. You can say that you love someone and abandon the truth, but that's not that's not love at all. That's enablement. When you just say, "I love you, I love you," you just go ahead and go, go ahead and right. do the drugs and the stealing, all that yeah. you want to do. If it feels good. Uh, it must that's, be right. That's right. enablement. <laughs> that's enablement. Uh, so love without truth is enablement, and truth without love is just harsh. It's abuse. Ab- yeah, abuse. <laughs> it's, it's abuse. <laughs> so. Uh, I, 
I also like the term, and it's, you know, it's six half dozen another. Love without truth is license, you know, but enablement, same thing. Um, but because but, I think you were the one that coined that uh, years ago. Uh, but again, tr truth without can't love remember. is harsh. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember. <laughs> uh, so one last thing on discipleship, and then because you, you two basically got to, to go in the first one, and Terry and I got to go in the second one. Uh, but this whole thing of discipleship, I, w the, the deacons can tell you. Uh, as a church, th this has been a 20-year, 24-year struggle. We still, quote, unquote, can't point to a program that we have as a church for discipleship. I have come full circle about four times in this 24-year experiment of whether or not we're quote-unquote doing what we're supposed to be doing. I have tried to force some programs. I have tried to dream up some programs. I have looked at other programs, and I am, I'm still searching. I'm not ready to, to declare tonight what I feel like, you know, that, that we're necessarily off the hook, that we're okay because we're doing Sunday school and we're doing Awana. Because what I, what I, if someone asks me, I tell them I feel like we're doing a measure of discipleship because we're certainly teaching Scripture here. Uh, we're trying to help people in their growth. But we point them to these topics and, and such. And I've got a few folks, uh, as loose as it may be as a program, I've got a few folks actively in discipleship right now. They are taking, uh, one couple's taking a couple through a set of, you know, discipleship materials and such. My struggle has been the material that I like is 36 weeks long. That's tough. You know, yeah, you start to talk to someone about, okay, I need the next year. <laughs> what? Yeah, and I need, because, you know, you're not going to hit every week. So 36 weeks is quickly going to turn into 50, you know. And, and so I, now we can sit here and say in the grand scheme of things, for it, this is going to affect eternity. We're going to quibble at a year? G give it to me, you know, type thing. But you guys also know that not everybody's going to necessarily do that. So then the six-week material, we got those two, the six-week material. It doesn't cover squat. You know, it, it, and it doesn't do it. It doesn't build a, a relationship. You know, and so you I, need 32 weeks to you, barely cover it. In my right. Opinion. So I, I'll tell you guys right now, if you're wanting to go deeper in discipleship, experiencing God is an excellent study. And Christian discipleship yeah. by Stephen Collins is my favorite. Uh, you guys have heard things from the pulpit that you wouldn't have heard any other way because of that book. Uh, and I do believe that that book holds the key to you got to go to discipleship in a church. All right. Thank you, Tara. So uh, we've got um, topic we, three. We might want to do this again next week. Yeah. Because we didn't scratch the we, surface we didn't on, scratch the, the on the list that I, yeah. that I got here. <laughs> I don't know what you guys got, but well, I, I, I still got a lot in spiritual list. that I felt like I worked really hard on. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm good with the, we, we can move to random. Uh, so who do you uh, want to start on that, Dad? Hang on oh, just a second. Christina says online. The, the, the <laughs> ultimate answer to that, Christina, is that uh, I do feel like, for number one, that's coming to a computer near you for Bethel Baptist Church. There's not much of a relationship that comes from that. The, or the, the, the working on that relationship is... Yeah, absolutely. A absolutely. We could do small groups, she said, for those that don't have the benefit of being in the auditorium right now. And so, amen. And, and I'm going to tell you, that's, that's kind of my plan right now is to work that direction. You may or may not know, but Five Minute Pastor is kind of the start of that. Uh, I actually made one of those this week. It's just not online yet. So, mystery topic. The last two weeks that we've done this, uh, Tom, Gavin, and I, all three, have been able to get our mystery topics out there. Uh, and so, uh, Gavin, I'll let you start. What's your mystery topic for tonight? Well, in line with the previous two yeah. topics, uh, I just knowing the questioner, this was uh, one of my mentors constantly em em emphasize that whenever somebody has a question or a beef if you will with god uh it's not just and maybe it is it's just a a chance to take a shot at god and try to get other people to follow you um it could be that but it could be actually a platform that's been developing in their life and they have just had the opportunity to articulate it so you have to look at the platform that's been building in their life for them to stand on this and then ask the question 
Um, and sometimes it's a question that's intended to, to say, okay, I don't have to worry about believing in God anymore. If you haven't come up with a legitimate answer for this, I, I'm done. I don't have to, I don't have to concern myself with morality. I don't have to worry about you know, what I do, um, any internal controls. I don't have to keep them in place. Um, so knowing the questioner, uh, when somebody comes to a platform and they violently or they angrily ask a question or make an accusation, there's usually something very significant under the surface there that has brought them to the place where they would come and ac accuse God or accuse God's mm -hmm. people or uh, make insults and then and then uh, you know make an accusation and then leave or um, pose a question and, and then leave. Um, so knowing the questioner, um, there it is. <laughs> Which is so hard in today, you know. You can be anonymous easily on the internet, so that's right. so hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, on Facebook, you probably have the most knowing the questioner, mm -hmm. but the truth is, you know, there's so many people with so many hurts mm -hmm. that are anonymous. It's sometimes hard to do that, and that's that's kind of what the beauty of the internet is: is they get to come spew their you know bitterness and all this stuff, and then leave, and then not have to worry about and the consequences. It's so easy to respond to them in the same color right. or tone. Right, it's easy. really easy to yeah. do that, and then you, and then you. Have your own conscience and now guilt that you've got to deal with because yeah. you responded incorrectly. Then it's the response of shame where you apologize. Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to respect people. Walk of shame, yeah. Because yeah. then you yeah. just almost prove their point when you act the same way. You're like, well, you're not yeah. supposed to act like me because exactly. you're a Christian. Oh, yeah. it, they've got the high ground, so to speak. Yeah, right. I said knowing the questioner, but actually responding to the questioner for who they are. Um, they may have a legitimate reason to be angry. Uh, not necessarily God, but you know they they could have lost a loved one, they could have been abused, could have been any form of uh, disappointment or pain in their life uh, that has put them where they are. So, so along those lines, this is something I feel like uh, personally that that is almost a a winning argument. You know, there there are some phrases that that other people have given me and that I've come up with that when a hearing is one of them uh, when it comes to trying to you know soul win somebody bring them to Christ. Uh, another one is the, the whole idea of a winning argument. You know, I've, I've went to the Lord before and said, okay, you, you know exactly what this person, if you will, is holding over me with their argument. I need a winning argument to, to combat that. So when it comes to someone that is questioning the existence of God or questioning their need for God, what I try to bring them to, is there anything that you have discovered that you can't? control that specifically deals with you, whether it's anger, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's lust. I mean, fill in the blank. Something, if, if you will, your secret sin or not so secret sin that you are completely out of control when you give into it. Mm. You have a need. Yeah. You have a need. And the only person that can meet that need is the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God. And, and God is using that out-of-control area to bring the pain. He's using that pain to try to get you to look to him, in my humble opinion. You know, uh, you need something more powerful than the draw of whatever that right, uh, right. enticement is. That's right. Well, and because, you know, to me it's the height of pride for someone to say that God doesn't exist, hmm. you know, or I don't need him, you know. Yeah. Well, but we all know because we live with ourselves, there's something that that person struggles with. And maybe if it's something outside of them, maybe it's their wife or their child or there's something they don't have the fix for. Yeah. God is the fix. Yeah. Amen. All right, Benjamin, you got a mystery topic? I want to hit mine real quick. Uh, my random, I call it random, but mystery, is church is not cookie cutter. And that this is probably becoming a pet peeve of mine. But, you know, so many people. Wait, wait, wait a minute. They're not all like Bethel? Yeah, and they shouldn't be. <laughs> Amen. But uh, and not, Amen. nothing against you guys, but the truth is, you know, church is not cookie cutter simply because it, if it was, God would have specifically put it that way the same way he had it in the Old Testament. It, in the Old Testament, church was cookie cutter. The tabernacle was supposed to be set up a certain way. The sacrifices were supposed to be a certain way. It was cookie cutter. But he left that after, you know, Jesus created a new covenant through his blood. So, you know, there's a reason, and, and you know, uh, what's his name? Paul kind of set it up this way when he, when he went out to the different types of people. With the Jews, 
he he approached them in a different light, in a different way. He approached them with, they, they already knew the gospel, so he's teaching them different things. He's teaching them that not everybody needs circumcision anymore to be a part of the, you know, of God's children. And then when, but when he went to the Romans, he used a completely different fashion. He used one of their own gods to, to reach, you know, their people and people were saved because of that. So, you know, you have to know your audience of who you're trying to reach and reach them in that light. And so, you know, if you go to a church and you don't like it, that's not, that doesn't mean that they're wrong. That doesn't mean that it's the wrong church. It's simply because they're reaching a different type of people. And so, like, I, you know, I know, especially in my, the association we're in, I feel like we, we see the people that have the, the shiny lights and the smoke and the rock band, and we see that they're doing it wrong. But the truth is all we need to evaluate in a church is are they reaching people for Christ and are they doing it doctrinally sound? If their words in the songs and if they're preaching in the, is it with the gospel and along with the word of God, then they're doing it the right way, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And so, and so it doesn't matter if they're doing it rap. I just, you know, that's just one of my pet peeves is to, you, you don't discount them because of how they do their music, unless it's not your type, but that doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. And so, you know, that, that's just one thing that I felt like in our in associations in small small towns, they feel like, you know, the big church, the big town churches, they're not doing it right just because they're they're appealing just to people to appeal to people, which that can be wrong, but that's not always true, and so that, that's just one of the things I want, you know wanted to hit on. So very good. So very good. Paul said, "I'm all things to all people for just so that I might win some to yeah. Christ." Uh, exactly reminds it. me of that book uh, John Smith introduced it to me that the Peace Child. Do you remember that? Him talking about that, yeah. that book. Um, it's a, a book about a missionary that went to New Guinea, and he encountered this these multiple headhunter or cannibalistic tribes, and went in and couldn't win, couldn't win, couldn't win, couldn't win any any of them to Christ, until he saw that during that time he was there, two tribes were getting so so few in number uh, because of their warring and destroying each other that they joined each other. And by joining each other, there was a ritual that they did. One, tr one of the, the tribes, it may have been one or each tribe, had to, so a mother from one tribe would take her child and give it to a mother in the other, child, in the other tribe, and she would raise that child as her own. And I, I don't know if it was re reciprocal or not. But the missionary saw right away, this is the open door for the gospel right, right. here. The peace child is what God gave us so that right. we could be united and uh, redeemed to mm -hmm. him. Um, so um, what's the word? Uh, reconciled to yeah, God. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, in every generation, I think God leaves that kind of a door to that generation, to that community, to that group of people. There's a, a door to the gospel that touches them personally, that's part of their culture, if you will, or part of the way that they believe. And it doesn't necessarily have to be scriptural, but and the peace child offering was not a scriptural, but it certainly foretold of the Christ right, who right. was the peace child. So I, I've just come to believe that that's the case in every generation. And in the, the millennial generation, um, a generation foreign to all of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I believe God is opening a door of relationship. Uh, they've been described as the generation that sees with their, I'm sorry, that they hear with their eyes and they think with their feelings. Uh, I don't think there's a better way. I, that's a superpower for a relationship. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you see, you don't believe anything anybody says because you've been lied to so many times. Right. But you see when somebody's doing something genuine, and you can think with your feelings. I don't know, in a relationship, that's got to be like a superpower. That makes it so much more important to live out your holiness because yeah. that, that, that's what people are going to react to is seeing it lived out, an example. They're not going to, not, not anymore, they're not going to come to a place with the sign outside, come hear the gospel mm -hmm. because they've been, like, they haven't lied to anymore. And, and you know, they, there's so many different religions that are trying to do that now, and mm -hmm. some are feeding bull crap and some are feeding the right stuff but now we don't know anymore we can't say that yeah i know i, I yeah. said that we have benjamin again we're gonna have to have a dump button you know i know eight seconds that wasn't right i'm sorry but at least i didn't say the other word okay but uh but uh so you know now i got lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's my turn anyway boys go ahead, go all ahead. right here we go uh i got six minutes the prayer of jabez uh 
This is something I've been hitting on, um, I don't know, two months ago. The Lord just, I, f- I feel like, uh, kind of drew the line with me and wanted me to start praying that prayer again. I read the book eight, ten years ago, probably even longer, because uh, Rich Hoff was alive when um, I got started into that because he read the book. And uh, Rich would tell anyone that he was asking God for a million dollars so that he could donate it to uh, LifeWord. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, LifeWord would have to tell us if that ever happened. Uh, but, but Rich was willing to, to tell myself and a few others that he was actively asking God for that because he felt like he saw the need. And Rich was a, a wonderful financial giver to that ministry and the such. So he had put his money where his mouth was. But he was asking God to do, you know, above and beyond what he could do. And so uh, I thought, well, if this book impacted Rich so much, I, I'm going to read it. And I read it. And this is it. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would help me from, help keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So what you got to know about Jabez, and it brings it out in the book. And this is a book by Bruce Wilkinson. Uh, Jabez means pain. His mother bore him in pain, and so she named him Pain. Can you imagine? I, I, I really, you know, hey, babe, <laughs> you little pain. I mean, he had that all his life. Mom reminds me every time that she can that it took 16 hours, so I kind of, I can really. <laughs> yeah, but she's not saved. But anyway, I'm kidding. Okay, so he, here you go. Write that down. Uh, oh, yeah. All oh, that you would bless me indeed. So the book brings out that. If God has a blessing, you know, he used it in, a, in a, an analogy that uh, he had a dream and he went to heaven. And as he was touring heaven with St. Peter, of course, there was all these warehouses full of stuff. And uh, when the guy asked God or Peter, what are these warehouses up here in heaven? Well, these are all the blessings that none of God's children have asked for. So... Lord, if you have something up there for me today, I'm asking for it. It may not be a physical situation. It may not be a possession. It may not even be financial. It may just be a blessing, you know, whatever the case may be. If you have a blessing up there, Lord, for me, I'm asking for it. Enlarge my territory. So that is where we get the uh, increase my influence. Uh, so, in, you know, we kind of had the joke a couple weeks ago when I just kind of happenstancely with Dawn praying over her, asked God to enlarge her territory. Scared her to death. She got up after that prayer and said, please don't pray that. I, I don't think I can handle it anymore. And so I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, so I, I turned it around and I prayed it for me. That was the week when I got asked by uh, Chief Work to become the police uh, chief, I'm sorry, the police department chaplain uh, and has since been asked to be the fire department chaplain. So the Lord is increasing my influence. He, he's doing that. He's answering that prayer, that your hand would be upon me. Uh, well, who wouldn't want that? You want God's hand upon you, uh, that he would keep you from evil that's keeping you from sin, and that I may not cause pain. So you're basically just asking God to keep you from hurting other people. You're asking God to put his hand upon you. You're asking God to uh, enlarge your uh, influence for him uh, and to uh, bless you with a blessing on that day. I encourage you to pray that. I encourage you to read the book type thing. Amen. Other discussions, gentlemen? Two, two books that uh, changed my life, that one and uh, The Purpose Driven Life. And yes. Rich was a, a proponent of both of those. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In fact, Brother Rich uh, started the practice. He bought as many of those books that we wanted. We kept them here at the office. I call Purpose Driven Life the 20th century track. It's a big track because it's a big book. But it is excellent. And I think it's still, because it's 20 years old, easily, but it, but it would still be appropriate today to give to someone if they're trying to figure out this Christian life. Purpose-driven life is excellent. Who's it wrote by? Uh, Rick Warren. I thought so. It's yep. because they have a purpose-driven church. I yeah. thought so, but yeah. I just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah, he, the purpose-driven church was the first one, and then he wrote purpose-driven life. I, I'm telling you, uh, you really can't improve upon it. Now, guys, you got to know that Certain names you throw out, it's going to bring a response. Rick Warren is one of those. Maybe even within this own church that one person loves him, the next person, oh, I don't know, you know. So I have learned I don't say the name unless I have to, you know. Hey, I, I got this book by this fellow. I want you to try it out. You yeah, know? That's my bad. I didn't mean to make no, you No, you're, you're fine. 
but w- when you guys hear me from the pulpit say, I heard a man say, I'm on purpose not saying a certain name. Because I know that it, th- those names sometimes, I, I, you can get that with Ben Kingston in this area. And so, you know, you, you just got to know your people. <laughs> the truth is he just forgot, but he's not telling you. <laughs> and sometimes that happens too. But, uh, well, guys, I think we're out of time. We love you. Thank you for being here tonight. Excellent crowd. Have a good one.